Hey, John Harris here with the Rock Metal Podcast. Join me as we get to go behind the scenes into what goes into producing records and making music as we interview some of our favorite and soon-to-be favorite bands. And today, we're chatting with Olivier Allard of Sidemind for fans of Dream Theater, Leprous, Symphony X, and Tigran Hamsayan for all those jazz fans out there. We'll be chatting about Sidemind's new album, The Descent, mixed by Simon L'Esperance of Acarsius and matched by Tony Lingren of Fascination Street Studios. We'll get to hear the story about how all of that came to be, what it's like to work with a legendary producer, and so much more. So please stay tuned to the very end. But first, let's check in with our beautiful sponsors. Asher Media Relations, doing public relations for everything loud. For your band needs to be seen and heard in print, online, and radio, head over to ashermediarelations.com. That's ashermediarelations.com. Mention the Rock Metal Podcast and get your band noticed. Syndical Music is a full-service agency for musicians offering record label services, marketing, branding, production, and management. Head over to syndicalmusic.com. That's syndicalmusic.com. S-Y-N-D-I-C-O-L music.com. Mention the Rock Metal Podcast and take your music career to the next level. So, Olivier, go ahead and say hello to all of our beautiful listeners. Hi, everybody. And it is absolutely freaking great to have you on. Let's go ahead and chat about this. I have here as a quote, with Erosion, we were young. We were still trying to define our own sound. Take us back to that first album and trying to define your own sound. What's happened since that time between then and now? And do you feel that you're any closer? Uh, okay, that's a, that's a great question. I hope we, we were in our early 20s and we have we really had no knowledge whatsoever of how to produce an album we knew how to write we knew how to play but we had really no clue how to produce an album that's why we asked uh, chris donaldson to uh, help us out in that he made an awesome job honestly uh, we we have um, nothing to um, reproach to him only thing is it sounded like chris donaldson you know it's it mm-hmm. sounded like what what he used to do with uh, death metal bands and you know it's a very aggressive approach we wanted for a second album to try and find something that's more well that's more us and we had covid to kind of learn everything and we really had time to uh, dig into production and refine the uh, guitar sound as we want the keyboard sounds also so we had uh, a lot of time to make tests and also find a mixing engineer that would help us out but like here are also our ids and uh, understand where we uh, we want to go so i think it's uh it's uh it's been very very uh enlightening experience we're on the right track i, I wouldn't say we're uh, we're totally happy with the um, with the end product we're really near of course we still have some uh, some things to learn uh, along the way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know maybe you're in a band you're looking for a producer mix engineer you brought up a really good point chris donaldson he's great he's fantastic he's super talented he also mm-hmm. sounds like chris donaldson and a producer usually imprints their sound or a mix yeah. engineer usually imprints their sound and there are a few who kind of don't that come to mind but I mean, even a Mutt Lang, if you listen to all of Mutt Lang's records, some certain things sound the same because it's just the way that he's processing the band's material or even influencing the band's material. So always, yeah, exactly. 
always take that into account when searching for a producer or a mix engineer is what does this person's work sound like and do I want my band or my record to sound like that? And if the answer is yes, then go go to the races. But if exactly. it's yeah, I think uh, we we also had that that questioning for uh, mastering actually because some people go with uh, certain mixing engineers and then go to other uh, mastering engineers just to have a different color, just to have a different uh, opinion. And that's actually what we did. We went to um, Fashionation Street Studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we got our album mastered by uh, Tony Lindgren. You know, he he kind of got this uh, European prog metal sound that we we love so much. So uh, we were really glad about that. Absolutely, freaking lutely. Now, Tony Lindgren, that is a definite legend. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Fashionation Street Studios is also Jens Bogram. So. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know who he is, just think like Amon Amarth. Definitely some heavy hitters in the European metal scene. Now, you mentioned some trials and tribulations as far as working on Descent is concerned. And obviously, each stage of the creative process itself has its peaks and valleys. What was the greatest moment in producing this record? For me, I, I would say it was a violin tracking. I've, I recorded my tracks in four days, and it was really the... The most challenging four days of uh, of my life. I re- I remember uh, after the first day, completely tired. I think I went to bed at like eight, and I woke up and got back to the studio and like four days uh, in in a row like that. Really, really tiring, but I'm really uh, really happy with the with the result. You know, it's a uh, it's a uh, very um, everybody in the same room. We're all tracking in in each separate room, and it's kind of a lonely experience. And you're you're just you are yourself with your instrument and uh, playing playing so many so many so many takes until you have like the the one you were uh, the one you were uh, you prefer so uh it's a lot of focus the concentration but i'm very very happy with the with the results so i'd say uh that was fun i i think for everybody else it's it's going to be uh different i i really like tracking grand piano with uh with camille uh, we went to a very very nice uh studio actually it was an ancient um it was an old church that was uh renovated into a studio and there was a grand piano there we tracked every um everything there um the grand piano and the no it's, it was only the the grand piano there of uh I I was the kind of producer there. There was Kemi on the on the grand piano, and I was kind of leading him. You know, do that again, do that again. Can you try this? Can you try this? And we kind of build the builded the performance together. It was a very fun experience. Yeah, I mean, using those old renovated spaces like a church, uh, the particular grand piano that they had. I mean, all of those things that you're capturing in time are unique to the record and can't be used anywhere else. And I know there are so many, um, you know, samples available nowadays and, you know, they'll get you by, but it would just sounded so easy and so fluid, Olivier, for you and Camille to just go down to this unique space on this unique piano and create a unique moment in time. Exactly. I mean, in metal, uh, act. There's there's so many samples in metal music. It's it's really rare that you're gonna hear a, a real piano. I mean, if our our biggest influence, Dream Theater, I'm not sure they even used a, a grand piano, a real grand piano, in any of their records. It's only Jordi Rudess with his keyboard. Even if he's a concert pianist, you know, he's really trained as a classical pianist. But uh, I we felt that that's a 
sound that we want to explore, um, having the grand piano. I, I think it's really it really comes from our Tigran Amasian influence. I don't know if you if you know that guy. He's a jazz pianist. He's doing really uh, um, odd time signature stuff and uh, Armenian uh, melodies on top of that is really, really good. And um, he's, he has a very uh, like Meshuga-like approach to his songs. It's really heavy and uh, lots of uh, low-end uh, punches on the piano. So uh, I think we get uh, we get our sound from him. Yeah, I mean, Olivia, you hit it on the head. There are a lot of samples in metal, but if you can do something unique on your recording like you guys have done here so that it's organic and unique, you know, to your record, then bonus points. And then also as well, it sounds like you're pulling in influences from many places, but then connecting those dots. I mean, you mentioned uh, jazz with Tigran Hamsayan, but that it's Meshuggah-like. So we're, we're connecting the dots back to metal, which takes me to my next question. What was the biggest challenge for you on this record? And I guess, how did that, what did you guys make of that challenge? Biggest challenge? Well, it was a long process. I think what's keeping us motivated was maybe one one of the challenge because we wrote those songs. Um, I think a year after we we released Erosion, all the songs were were already uh, done. So it it took us a four year after that to release everything. I I think it was kind of long. It, we we had some delays with with studios because uh, everything closed at the moment we wanted piano recording so we had to wait a year and then everything closed on the day we had our first music video everybody caught covid so we had to de de delay everything so i think that was the biggest challenge just was to like keep the momentum uh, even if we had so much so many delays yeah Absolutely. Staying motivated. I mean, come on, baby, especially through the pandemic. How many listening in right now have tried to get a band off the ground or a music project or any project for that matter and have found it difficult to do so and how to stay motivated? Now, more to come, but let's go ahead and check in with our beautiful sponsors. Two Madsen is responsible for producing, mixing, and mastering some of the best metal for over the last 20 years. From Meshuggah to The Haunted to Poison Black, Kemper Profiler packs for guitar players, and Easy Drummer expansion packs for programming drums. Two Madsen can take your production to a level previously unheard. Head over to twomadsen.com. That's twomadsen.com. T-U-E-M-A-D-S-E-N. Click contact, fill out the info for your next project, and let Two know that the Rock Metal Podcast sent you. Wormhole Death is a modern record label, publishing, and film production company born in 2008. Getting signed to this label means global distribution, publishing, and marketing with Wormhole Death's roster of global partnerships. Head over to wormholedeath.com. That's wormholedeath.com. Submit your band and let them know the Rock Metal Podcast sent you. <laughs> what, what was the main inspiration for these kinds of themes on the record? It's, um, we find our inspiration. You know, we, um, we write the music before and thinking about what it's going to be about. Uh, since we have no lyrics, we kind of find the themes after. Uh, at least that's how we work right now. And I actually would like to do the, the opposite, maybe next the next record and like find the, find the theme and, and work musically uh, on that. This, uh, this record was really written uh, uh, the music before, and then we thought, you know where where uh, where does it lead us? Um, 
how are they building? And we really thought that is a, it was a descent into hell. You know, there, if you, if you get the first song and you, you ditch it out because it's kind of an overture. Uh, you start at Hoax and then going down to Breach, Call of the Void, uh, Hemlock. They're all um, get longer, more complex, more darker. And you kind of get to a point in slumber where it's actually you don't know if you're if you're dead or alive or uh, you don't know where you are. And then the last song is a kind of a more epic finale. But um I think we dealt the, we we chose the obsessions theme because mainly there's themes that go that reappear in every song, so you kind of get that obsession late motive, like uh, like we say, um, that's appearing in many songs. Structurally, yeah, it really was um, how uh, how dark and how how low can one go. Uh, from something that's really fun, hoax is really uh, uplifting, really exciting, and then breach is also catchy, but it's going to be heavier. And then call of the void is already a lot, a lot darker. Yeah. So I mean, what I want to kind of unpackage there from that one was telling a story. So the music was written before the themes, and as you mentioned, you know, next time you'd kind of like to you know do the themes first, and then write the music around it. But what I want to zoom in on is when you said, and then we thought. Where does this lead us? Where does this lead us? It's about telling a story with the music. And then you guys were able to craft a compelling, and as you said, catchy and even dark and heavy, right? But you were able to craft a compelling story. Now, one of the other things I wanted to chat about was, you know, you guys had mentioned Grand Piano a few times. Samples sort of somewhat came up a little bit. I'm curious, in terms of telling the story, you know, are there any other pieces of equipment that may have come in that surprised you or really became a part of the recording? Um, a few things. Still with the, with the grand piano, we had the idea to uh, mess around the, inside the piano. You know, with the big big strings. We had a um, we had a um, one penny, and we were um, messing out with the with this um, with the sound inside the piano. It actually ended up being the end of our album, the last tone. You kind of hear those little, almost like a guitar pick on a piano, and it's uh, it sounds really, really a movie soundtrack, um, and uh, very epic. So uh, we uh, we like to, and it really was kind of a of a moment thing. We just I let's let's just try this on the on the piano and see how it sounds, and uh, it sounded great. Other than that, you know, we were, um, uh, there's my electric violin here, but I uh, tracked everything on my uh, acoustic one uh, for that record. There was no uh, electric violin in in that record. Um, I think we we like to to have that more classical approach with the grand piano and the and the acoustic violin. It really gives a more uh, organic sound. And um, the, the challenge is actually to... Uh, blend it with guitar and bass and drums and make it sound as a as a whole using the grand piano in various ways i mean instruments you know they're they're there for your enjoyment just because it was i guess designed to be played one particular way doesn't mean you can't get under the hood and start tinkering around and end up with some really cool things as a result of it. So, I mean, you know, if you're listening in right now and you're kind of stuck on a project, maybe start using snare drums the way they're not supposed to be used. You know, start getting out of your comfort zone a little bit. Exactly. Start doing, yeah. Be creative with the with the instrument you have. Exactly, think, baby. Exactly. Think outside the box. 
Mm-hmm. Except this time you went inside the box. Like you, you opened exactly. the lid and you went. You went. <laughs> <laughs> How would you define success at this stage of your career with regard to this release, Olivier? Um, we're happy with how the how the uh, the album got received. Um, you know, I think self-producing that album was a risk because um, I think there was a lot of uh, interest on our first album just because it was Chris Donaldson who was producing it, you know, and there was a name behind it. So uh, people got curious for that. And uh, it was a challenge for us for that second album to keep that keep that interest because first it was five years ago. So uh, every, every, everybody forgot us. And then, um, uh, and then we self-produce our album. So we had kind of no, um, nobody to, uh, to help us with anything, but it was uh, so, we learned so much from that process that we wouldn't uh, change anything. And we're really focusing on, focusing on that being, I only have the French, uh, French word autonome. I don't, I don't know if you were, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Autonomous. Yeah. Like, exactly. like being, okay. being on your own by yourself being able to do everything yourself yeah and i think that's where we want to uh to keep pushing and the same thing for the third for our third project it's going to be um, self-produced we we enjoyed so much the whole process of you know pre-production and production and post-production and it's something that we like to do um, on our own so enjoying the process basically of you know self-producing because as you were mentioning that, it made me realize that finding a great producer or even a great mix engineer, anybody else along the way, is almost like finding that fifth band member. Exactly. In our case, it's our sixth man, band member. But yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and honestly, you know, you're listening in, you're thinking, man, I need to find a great producer. You will in time. And when that time comes, it'll happen. I know that sounds quite serendipitous, but it it's true. So either, you know, try a different producer every album or just, you know, do what these guys are doing, what Side of Mind is doing. Self-produce, be happy with it, get the good feedback, uh, enjoy the process, and eventually the right person, will, their ears will peak, uh, perk up and say, I know I can help you guys. Exactly. We, uh, we, we like to do that because we like to learn. And if we go see a producer and we tell him, you know, just do your stuff and we're not interested in what you're doing, um, it's some some artists are doing that and it's fine and um, make um, trusting a producer is is really really good but I think knowing what they do actually and uh, how how they do it and maybe challenging them and work with them I think we're more looking for a collaboration than just you know give our music to somebody and he makes whatever he wants with it <laughs> that sounds so aggressive Olivier <laughs> oh yeah, sorry then. <laughs> <laughs> Just take it and do with it what you will. <laughs> now, speaking of collaborating, obviously, you know, music being a musician is a collaboration between fan and, you know, the artist. So my next question is, what's the number one thing that you want people listening right now to do? Is is there a website that you want them to go to? What would you like them to do right now? Well, we released Two uh, very nice music videos. So I think if you don't know the band, if you don't know Sidemind, you should check us out on YouTube. Our music video hoax is really a very good highlight of our music, of our uh, of our album, The Descent. 
Um, we've also have a very, very nice music video called Winter, which released a few years ago, uh, which is actually an arrangement of uh, Vivaldi's um, Winter Concerto. And uh, that's also very, very uh, an uh, epic music video. You know, we uh, we have the opportunity to be working with my brother, who is a, a director, who is a movie director. So he uh, he's very generous of his time, and he's really good, actually. So um, usually, music videos, especially for metal bands, are kind of uh, you know uh, generic and bland, and uh, there's no. Uh, it's not the highlight, you know. You just listen to the music and don't really check the video because they're usually not that good. But uh, they they're worth they're worth watching. You didn't just scream into a light bulb, is what you're saying? Exactly. <laughs> okay, very cool. So everybody listening in right now. Go ahead and head over to the rockmetalpodcast.ca. In the search bar, you can search up Side of Mind, and there you will find all of the music videos for the record, as well as Winter that Olivier had mentioned, as well as any other relevant links so that you can get in touch with Side of Mind and become their next big, greatest fan. Olivier, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, John. Really, uh, really nice to uh, chat with you. That's it for this episode of the Rock Metal Podcast. Stay tuned because next week we're going to be chatting with Robbie Sherwell of the band As Paradise Falls. They made the decision to only have two members in the band after the other three had quit. Sound familiar? Was it the right decision, though? Go ahead and hit subscribe in your podcast player, share it with your friends, and I'll see you next week.